Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It is early in the morning, about 445 on Monday, July 17th, 2023, and I am coming at you behind this mic to talk about hope. We are one day away from the release of my new book, Hope is the First Dose, a treatment plan for recovering from trauma, tragedy, and other massive things. This beautiful book, I'm looking at it right now, the, the team at Waterbrook Penguin Random House just did an incredible job with the cover. It's these blue colors. Lisa found this palette of colors. It looks like a sunrise, and, and it's just incredible. And it, it just speaks into all this beauty and peace and, and power that can be found in hope. And I want to just talk today. It's Mind Change Monday, Mind Change Monday, and we're going to talk about why hope is different than optimism. Okay, why hope is different than optimism. And I just want you to understand why I'm so adamant that hope is the first dose. I want to talk a little bit about the book launch, a little bit about some of the fun things that are going on. But mostly I just want to ask you to pray this book will find its way into the hands of people who are searching for hope. I've told you many times, my, my, all my books circle around it, the podcast circles around it. Hopelessness is the deadliest thing that can happen to someone in their life. Hopelessness is deadlier than brain cancer. It's deadlier than anything that can happen to you in your life because if you lose hope, you will lose the will to fight and try to strive for a place to stand in your life again. And your life will become about whatever that massive thing is that's happened to you instead of moving and healing and learning and growing and forming. And I just want to just tell you that today. Hope is everything and it's not optimism. So we're going to change our minds about the difference between optimism and hope today. And because you can't change your life until you change your mind. And it's Mind Change Monday on the eve of hope as the first dose is launched into the world. And I'd love for you to pray with it, pray with us for the success of the book in terms of helping lots of people. I don't care how many books sell, but if one person changes their mind and finds hope again, it'll be worth all the toil and labor of helping them change their minds so they can change their life. And as Lisa tells us, we're going to be so grateful that they can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it, and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right, let's jump right into it. So I told you we're going to change our minds today about the difference between hope and optimism. And before we get started, there's two things I want to do. One, I want to remind you about another book that's coming out also tomorrow. 
So there's another book that's coming out also tomorrow. It's called The Night is Normal by Dr. Alicia Britt Scholey. She was on the show on Friday, an incredible conversation. I told you the other day, probably one of my top five of the 900 or so podcast episodes I've recorded in my lifetime. Just a tremendous book. Alicia, just a tremendous thinker and has a, this sort of pastoral heart and mentoring heart to help you learn and grow. And, and spiritual formation is a thing that we've been circling around ever since I talked to Richard Foster recently and Addison Bevere. We've had all these conversations and that word keeps coming up to me, spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. What does that mean? The world's, you're either decaying or you're growing, okay? And it happens in your faith too. It's either getting stronger or it's getting weaker over time. That's the story of science. Something gets better or it gets worse. But in order for it to get better, you have to be working it. And so we're concerned and interested in spiritual formation. And I'm just telling you, the night is normal. It's one of those books that will build you up spiritually to understand that nighttime is not always a bad thing. In my work, we're always talking about the massive thing, the hard things that come along, the difficult things that we face in life and what to do next. And, and it's, it's important to note that those difficult things put us into this darkness, but the darkness was designed by God as a way to lead us to see Him and trust Him more in a different, in a different light, in a different way. And so the night is normal. It's not, you're not being punished for being in the night. If you see it the right way, you can have an opportunity to be formed up. And so the night is normal, worth your time. Please read it. Please buy it. It's coming out tomorrow. Alicia Britt Scholey, I guess my book sister. And I guess my book brother is Tim Tebow. He has a new children's devotional book coming out tomorrow too. <laughs> Lots of good books come out every Tuesday. But two tomorrow that I'm interested in you purchasing and reading and learning from and growing from, the night is normal. And my book, Hope is the First Dose. And now we're going to talk about the difference between hope and and optimism. We're going to finish with one more song from the playlist. I'm saving I Have a Hope by Tommy Walker for tomorrow for the book launch. But one more song from the playlist, Highlands Worship Song, The Battle is Already Won. The song is called Already Won. And it's just this idea that I want to talk about today, that hope is not optimism. Hope is trust in the science and the process and the fact that the battle is already won. Because you're not just hoping for a thing, you're hoping in a person, Jesus Christ. And that'll change your mind, and that'll change your life. My friend Addison Bevere, we are so blessed. This, this writing and podcasting and all that has put us in front of some people, and we've developed some relationships that just have been incredible. And so much kindness and, and mutual collaboration has occurred. And we're going to be on the Bevere's um at home with John and Lisa podcast in a few months, but Addison, their son, we met him in the green room at Cornerstone Church to be on the Hagee's podcast back in 2020 when we were talking about I've seen the end of you, and he was talking about his book Saints, and he's this handsome young man sitting in the green room with us waiting like we were, and Lisa said, hey, you ought to go over and talk to that kid. He he looks you know like a nice kid. Let us see what's going on with him. Why are we both in the green room at the same time? I'm I'm kind of an introvert as as much as that might surprise you. I'm sort of a almost a hermit and kind of an introvert, and I I don't always feel comfortable going up to somebody and introducing myself and all that stuff. Addison was over there, and we we introduced ourselves to him, and it turned out he was Addison Bevere, who you know John and Lisa Bevere's son. 
Well, we became friends, and subsequently I endorsed his new book, Words with God, which he was on the show a while back to talk about, one of the best books on prayer I've ever read. And he endorsed my new book. And so the other day I got this incredible, unexpected, kind text message from Addison saying, hey, I know your book's getting ready to come out. I would love for you to write a guest entry on my newsletter this weekend. He's got a large following of people all around the world, and he gave me his space. So on Sunday, I wrote a piece for his newsletter. And I want to share that with you now, because what I decided to write about in Addison's space, and, and understand he's he's a pastoral heart, right? He has a heart to minister. So his Sunday entries, as he calls them, have a text and then a response and then a closing thought, almost like a sermon. So I wrote in that voice, in the style that his readers are accustomed to, and the difference between hope and optimism. And here's what I wrote. Dear friend, my 22 years as a practicing neurosurgeon and my 10 years as a bereaved father have made the diagnosis exceedingly clear. Life is hard and beautiful all at once. This shouldn't surprise us. Even Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble and I have come that you may have abundant life. John 16:33 and John 10:10. 10, 10. What then shall we make of this seeming contradiction? How can we have abundance when so much pain abounds? It's lurking in my hospital daily, trauma, tragedy, tumor, and the slow decay of our abilities to time. And every day since my son Mitch died, his loss weighs on my heart, even as as it has aged my body. You have, no doubt, suffered some of these or other massive things as well. Loss, pain, grief, anxiety, or a host of lesser but still massive maladies life brings to us all. But in my decades of walking among and trying to help the hurting and in my family's decade of hurting with them, I have discovered the single most important treatment we must learn to apply if we want to live not only in the trouble Jesus said we'd face, but to also rediscover his promised abundance, hope. Hope is not simple optimism or wishing for something to be different when life hurts. Wish as much as you want and it will not help you heal. Biblical hope is in someone, the healer who rose from the dead with his life restored, but his wounds still visible. And so can you, my friend. It's not easy. No surgery is. But there is a treatment plan to restore your heart and your happiness again after pain convinces you they are gone forever. Jesus said it plainly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have abundant life. Response. Have you been through a massive hurt or a collection of wounds that have left you wondering if you can heal again? The neuroscience is clear. You can't change your life until you change your mind. And this is what Paul means in Romans 12, 2, when he says that the procedure you must undergo to stop allowing life to force you to conform to its pressures is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We often read that verse in the light of not following culture's demands on our lives, but in this space... Bring your wounds to the healer and ask him to transform them through his promise of abundant life. Closing thoughts. The biblical model of changing our minds through pursuing God's promises tracks perfectly with modern neuroscience's discovery that how we think controls most of how we live. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 is the best primer on self-brain surgery in the Bible. It's all part of the great physician's treatment plan for your healing. And hope is the first dose. Doom Spiro Sparrow, while I breathe, I hope. Lee.
I'm so grateful that Addison shared his sacred writing space with me. And I hope if you're one of the new folks that signed up to my newsletter and following my podcast last night because of Addison's newsletter, I hope that we develop a relationship that keeps pointing you back to hope because hope, my friend, is the first dose. It's everything. And I want to, I want to tell you something else. There's a, an interlinear Hebrew New Testament, or I'm sorry, Greek New Testament that I follow and read and often use as part of my Bible study. Interlinear means they put the text up and then they put the, the Greek or the Hebrew, if it's Old Testament, next to the English text and they give you an opportunity to understand the words that are there and what they actually mean in the, in the language in which they were written. So it's a, a way to enrich your Bible study, a way to deepen your understanding of what you're reading. And last week we talked over and over and over again. We went did the Lectio Divina thing of chewing on those two words from the Old Testament that show up over and over when hope is translated as waiting or hoping that the two words kava and yakal this yakal is wait the wait on the lord those who wait in the lord will renew their strength they will mount up with wings like eagles the yakal is that waiting and kava is that rope that hold on tight to the tension between now and not yet and it will not let you fall that 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 Kava will hold you up no matter what you're facing. You won't fall back into the pit of despair if you kava, if you hold on. We talked over and over and over about those two words because I wanted you to soak them in and have them become something important. If I was a person who got tattoos of ancient words on my body, I would put kava and yakal, hope and weight and tension and holding on when it's hard. Those would be words I would consider tattooing. I'm not a tattoo person, but those would be good ones. Kava and Yakal. In the New Testament, the word hope is often translated elpis, E-L-P-I-S, and it means expectation or hope. Yet in our modern age, the concept of hope is violently misrepresented, my friend, who writes the Abarim publication. So this interlinear, interlinear translation that I like to use, this this resource, is Abarim, A-B-A-R-I-M-publications.com, Abarim-publications.com. And you can go to Google and you can type in, for example, Hebrews... 12.1 interlinear, and you'll find the Abarum interlinear translation. And you can read these incredible articles that these researchers have done, written about these verses. But this morning, I wanted to know what Romans 12.12 says in the actual original language, the Greek. Romans 12.12 is the verse that I use to sign I've seen the interview. If you have a signed copy of I've seen the interview from me, almost certainly I signed whatever I wrote to you and then Romans 12.12. And in the voice translation, I love how Romans twelve twelve comes out. It says, do not forget to rejoice, for hope is always just around the corner. And most translations say something like, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and constantly in prayer, continually in prayer. But the voice expands. It says, this idea, you hold on to hope. It's always just around the corner. You don't have to give up. Never give up. Hope is always there. Well, the Abarim translate or the Abarum interlinear has an article about the word elpis that shows up over and over and over through the new testament and here's what it means hope is not something that you just wish for it's something that you work toward 
It's not wishing for, it's working toward. And I've told you a million times, and it's, there's a whole chapter in the new book, hope is a verb. It's an action word. It's something you go after. It's something you fight for. It's not something you just wish for. It's, it's something that you're working toward. Hope is a calm and unceremonious comprehension, the Ibram publication says. A calm and unceremonious comprehension of something that is known to exist at the end of a process or path. Hoping involves no yearning or panting or mindless supplication, but rather knowledge, reason, and calculation. It is not an emotional thing. It's a science thing. I love that. I, I just found it this morning. I wish I had seen it earlier and I would have written about it in Hope is the First Dose. This guy is on to it. This is exactly what I've been meaning when I tell you hope is, is the quantum physics of how God built your brain. You can believe in two things at once. You can know that you'll be sad over this massive thing. And at the same time, you can know that he is forming you. There's that word formation again. He is forming you through it. He is refining you in the furnace of suffering. He is building something out of you that this process of pain that you're going through will produce a reward that you'll be better and more able to hold on the next time something hard happens and that you at the same time know that he's out there ready to redeem and restore and rebuild and repair even if it's in the in the not yet, even if it's in the later. I know I will not see my son Mitchell again until after either the Lord comes back or until I die. I won't, but I will see him then. It is not not wishing. I know it. It is not an emotional thing. It's a science thing. Now understand this. The scientific method is a two-step process that demands that you, number one, be able to verify the things that you observe. And you have to be able to observe these things and explain them by a system without having to have emotion involved. You can use logic and reason and test a hypothesis, and ultimately, by looking at the observations, you can refine the hypothesis until you know that it is true, and that's how we form scientific laws. So that first part is faith. Faith is, I have tested this thing. I have put God to the test. I have looked hard at his word. I have watched what happens when I study him. I've watched what happens when I put his plan in motion instead of mine, and it's always better. Friend, I will tell you, if you're an agnostic or an atheist or somebody who's not sure, I will tell you this. I'm 54 years old. I've been around science my whole life, and I've seen lots of scientific ideas come and go, things we thought were true that don't turn out to be true. The most common one as a neurosurgeon and a neuroscientist is this idea that we thought the brain was fixed and rigid and after about two years old that you didn't make any more nerve cells. And we told, I told thousands of people, students and patients alike, once you hit your head and lose those neurons, they are gone and they don't come back. You don't make new ones. So you better take care of that brain. Wear a helmet. Don't drink alcohol. All that stuff. Take care of your brain. And you need to. But in 2004, with better imaging, we figured out, guess what? You do make new neurons, and you can assign them to what synapses they form and what they do by changing how you think about things. You can literally change your brain. Neuroplasticity is now a well-known phenomenon. It really happens. Every day, your brain is renewed. That's what God told us in the Old Testament in Lamentations. Your mercies never end. They are new every morning. And that's why Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform 
transform. Let me transform you by the renewing of your mind. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, think on these things and you won't be as anxious. Think about stuff that's good and, and noble and worthy and loving and all that stuff and you'll be less anxious and stressed out. Friend, it is scientifically validated that if you follow God's plan, you'll be happier than if you don't. There is no doubt about it. Now there's scientists proving out things about prayer. Did you know there's a researcher in Miami that looks at breast cancer and she specifically took all kinds of questions over thousands of breast cancer people and figured out that people who have a faith in a living, loving God have much better outcomes than those who do not. And specifically, those people who believe that there is a God who cares about them as an individual have an even better outcome than people who don't believe that. And you can say, well, that's just wishing, maybe. But it's scientifically validated with below random chance probabilities that it's real. When you believe that God cares about you and you live your life that way, you have a better outcome than when you don't. And that same researcher published another paper that says that people who pray for other people, like known individuals, like if you pray for your cousin Jan who has breast cancer, you have a better outcome from your breast cancer than if you don't pray for those other people. Why? God wants us to pray for others. He wants us to not be so concerned about ourselves, to fret not ourselves, and he'll bless us when we do. The Bible's full of that, and it proves out scientifically. So faith is verifiable observations that can be explained by a falsifiable but unobservable logic system that produces what is observed. You can count on it. That's faith. And two, the system, the logic system, must be able to predict the outcome of a subsequent experiment. That's hope. So here's what that means. When you struggle with something, you need to be able to say to yourself, I know God has got me here. I know he's going to take care of me. He's going to restore me. He's going to redeem me. Even if it doesn't look like I think it's going to look like, I know my God is with me in this. If you have a brain tumor, if your husband is dying of brain cancer, friend, hear me. You don't know what's going to happen with his body, but you know what's going to happen with him in the long run. And you know that you get to see him again. And you know that his language is going to be restored someday. It may not be now in the way that it looks like, the way that you want it to look like. But you know it. You've trusted him before. You've observed him before. You know how he behaves. You know he doesn't let you down. And you know that this hope is not wishful thinking. It is not optimism. It is scientifically validated. This God is going to do the thing that he said he is going to do, even if my eyes think it will look like a different way. His way is the way that's going to produce the thing I really want. Remember what Timothy Keller said. God answers prayers either by giving us what we ask for or by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knows about the situation. That will set you free from wondering why he's not answering your prayers the way you want them to, friend. Hope is not wishful thinking. It is not optimism. It is trust in the fact that you know this God reproducibly behaves in a way that is good for you. He reliably comes through in a way that is good for you. Faith, Hebrews tells us, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look at that substance. You can test it. You can prove it out. You can measure it and weigh it, and you know it becomes true. You know it's true. And it's the 
evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not yet seen. You don't have to wish that God will act on your behalf. The Old Testament says the, the, the Lord longs to be gracious to you, my friend. He rises to show you compassion. The master, the creator, the logos, the word of the universe will get up out of his chair to come and help you. He will be close to you when you're brokenhearted. I'm 10 years next month of being a bereaved father. My son Mitchell died August 20th, 2013. And there's not been a day since then that I haven't shed a tear or been sad about that in some way. And I know that I'll be sad about that when I'm an old man. But you know what? I'm not a sad man. That difference, the quantum difference, the the physics of me being able to be a hopeful, happy, alive person and sad about losing my son at the very same time is the same physics that this incredible engineer, creator God, used to make both of those things true. When John sixteen thirty three says you're going to have a hard time in this world, and John ten ten he says the thief is coming, he's going to steal and kill and destroy your heart. He wants to take your soul. He wants to take your peace. He wants to take your happiness. But Jesus finishes the sentence with, "I have come, Lola. I have come." Juliana, I have come, Brian, I have come, Caroline, I have come, Tom, that you might have life and have it abundantly. My friend, Hope is the First Dose is aimed at giving you a treatment plan to help you get to where I just talked about this morning. You don't have to hope, you don't have to wish that it's true. You can know that it's true. My son Mitchell and my mother-in-law Patty and my grandfather and grandmothers that have gone before me, my nephew Josh that died when he was a little boy, all those people are waiting in the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. And that's why we have to persevere. Friend, you're going to go through some hard things. And I've given you a treatment plan. It's coming out tomorrow. And I hope you read it. I hope you share it. I hope you post reviews on Amazon. I hope you take a picture of you finding the book in a bookstore and holding it up and posting it on your Instagram and tagging me at Dr. Lee Warren, showing it to other people because people need hope. Okay? This is one of those books that's going to require you, an army of people all over the world, to get behind it and share it with your friends and tell other people about it and tell your local library to order it and tell your pastor to keep it in the church bookstore. This is one of those books. I'm not promoting it because I want it to sell more copies. I'm promoting it. I'm telling you this because I have distilled the treatment plan that helped me and Lisa and our family find our way back to hope again because hopelessness is deadlier than brain cancer and hope is the only shot you have at living an abundant life in the midst of the hard things that will happen and you don't have to it's not wishful thinking it's not crossing your fingers it's not counting your lucky stars it is knowing that this wounded but risen savior has healed and restored and has prepared for you a plan that will lead you back to, yes, even happiness again. And all you have to do, my friend, is let him transform and change your mind so he can change your life. Because as our friends from Highlands Worship are about to sing, the battle is already won. 
The book comes out tomorrow, my friend, but you can start today.
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.